Welcome to the Film Coterie. I'm Roger. I'm Adam. And this is episode 43 for the week of March the 9th, 2018. And we are recording, Adam. This is brand new digs, man. We're in an actual sound booth. I'm still trying to get over it. <laughs> we'll try to put some pictures in the uh, notes there in the uh, on the website or something. You have done quite the home improvement project. I- I'm telling you, man, we have built an actual sound studio and... Uh, I'm excited to test our podcast to see how it sounds and how the quality is, and maybe you'll notice a little bit of an improvement. And uh, if you, I know you can't see it now. We'll put up some pictures, but Roger's got acoustic tiles everywhere. It's it's oddly silent in here, <laughs> and that if Roger wanted, he could put in a kiddie pool with lots of salt water, just float, and yes. have his own isolation chamber. I have my own isolation chamber, meditation room, whatever <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, no sound gets out of here except for I did it all in black, so you know. Maybe we should have done some lighter colors if I was going to make it a meditation room, you know. A little dark. A little dark for meditation. So we might have a little bit of audio issues as we're adjusting. I mean, we're using high-end microphones, studio-quality mics, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a little bit of adjustment for us. But I think eventually you're going to get a product that's um, second to none. I want it to be as good a quality as you're going to get anywhere on a podcast, so. Well, what's been happening, Adam? I, I've been buried building this yeah, studio. That's, you've been busy, my that's, friend. That's what I've been doing for the last two weeks. Uh, me and a buddy of mine have been, uh, literally, I built the entire thing, built, framed the walls, the whole nine yards from scratch, and uh, probably should have did a little better job of doing some kind of a video log or something for it, you know, but uh, oh well. So, but what about you? What's been up, man? I've just been watching movies and checking out the news. We saw today that John Favreau is going to be helming the Star Wars live-action TV show. That's coming. It's finally coming. We've heard rumor of a live-action Star Wars show since George Lucas still owned the rights. So what do you think about this, Adam? What's your thoughts about a live-action Disney-run Star Wars joint? TV and movies are blending together anymore. The budgets on shows are huge. They can do the special effects. I mean, look at the Lost in Space trailer for Netflix. I mean, in the movie, the show looks brilliant. Yeah, it looks visually. incredible. So we'll have to see if, it, if the quality of the story matches up to the visuals. But yeah, they Star Wars has enough money they can make the Star Wars show look great. Yeah. It comes down to what story are they going to tell. Is it going to be worth watching and, and tuning in? And they just finished Rebels up. Rebels had its series finale. That's done. This new show starting, and I think we're getting another animated show. Now, without any, without any spoilers, you mentioned that you hoped that there was a payoff at the end. Did you get the payoff out of Rebels you wanted, or did it leave you kind of— I think they cheated. They came up with a convenient way to take some characters out of the original trilogy. They sidelined them, but they may be showing up again after the events of Endor. So it was a little bit of a narrative cheat, I think. Okay. But, I mean, other people loved it. I was a little negative on it. Okay. Fair enough. I have yet to see it. It's in my queue. After talking with you and you sharing some of the nuggets of what's dropped over the, how many seasons of Rebels have there been? There was four. Yeah. You started sharing some of the nuggets of what was in those four seasons, and I was like, man, I have got to watch Rebels, you know, even though it's kind of geared for younger kids, isn't it? It's pretty dark. I mean, characters die, and it's... Wow, okay, then. It's geared for the same audience that watches the movies. I don't think it skews younger. Yeah, absolutely. Well, anything else exciting happening? We've got a couple movies to get into, but before we do that, anything else? Have you seen anything, you know, at the theater or anything you just might want to do a little quick plug for? 
I haven't. I've been involved in some watch in watching some films for film festivals, some submissions. I'm judging two of them. So nothing I can talk about, but it's been very entertaining. That's good. Excellent. All right. Well, we have tonight we have two movies. Our features Wrinkle in Time, and then we have a um VOD release, video on demand release. Um Novitiate. Yeah, Novitiate. And I'm I'm excited to talk about both of these for different reasons. They don't match at all. These are two no. disparate movies. <laughs> it's not we didn't theme this episode together that way at all, did we? No. Yep. So well let's take a quick break and come right back and let's look at a wrinkle in time. Call me Mrs. What's it? Mrs. Who? No, Mrs. What's it? Mrs. Who is oh, she's like a billion years older and way more knowledgeable. What can I do for you, Mrs. Watson? I called her ceiling sheets, guys. She's harmless. You're six. Come on. What do you know about harmless? Have I ever been wrong? Well, one of these days you might be Charles Wallace. Oh, I highly doubt that. He's one of the greatest minds in recent history. He's prodigious. But of course, we can't take any credit for our talents. It's how we use them that counts. All right, we're back, and the first movie we're talking about this evening is A Wrinkle in Time. This is from Disney. This is their first stab at the material, as far as I know. There's been other versions of it. This is the first Disney version. It's from Ava DuVernay, uh, who previously gave us Selma, and has a cast where you've seen the trailer. Chris Pine is the father. But the real stars of this movie, it's not Oprah. It's the three children. Um, Let me check here. Storm Reed plays Meg, and she's the leader of the children, and she's sort of the hero of the movie. But the kid that I thought gave the best performance, maybe, was actually Derek McCabe, who played Charles Wallace, the little brother. Now, without spoiling too much, Charles Wallace is a precocious little kid. He seems way too smart for his age. Right. He's kind of odd, and he's also the one that kicks off the journey. Yeah. He's, um... Not a savant, but he's super, super intelligent, almost to like the point where he's like the movie plays it where he's so smart that he has the ability to he's the one that discovers the misses and that there's a a tesseract and a wrinkle in time that kind of the story. The misses are the three sisterly like characters that are played by Reese Witherspoon and Oprah Winfrey and. uh, Oh, Kelly from uh, The Office. Yeah. Mindy Kaling. Yeah. So they're the embodiment of light. They're sort of like good witches. And they're the ones that take the children on the journey once they've discovered the children. This is an adventure movie. The kids go on an intergalactic quest to find their father who's gone missing. And it's odd casting, and I thought, that Chris Pine plays the father. When you're thinking of father, uh, and if I'm a Hollywood exec, I wouldn't jump to Chris Pine. No, I would not either. He's usually the dashing hero. Maybe more like a Brian Cranston or someone like that to play a father. Yeah, and it literally even the scenes that he is in, it's a little bit weird, like eerie a little bit. I don't know, something's just kind of just a little off putting or something about I just was at unease with him as a dad for some reason. He's not dad of the year material. No. We've already decided that based on some of his actions. <laughs> yeah. No, I have to say right up front, Adam, in full disclosure that I'd never really, I've read the books, but it's been, it's like sixth grade. I feel like I read it in the sixth grade too, and I've not returned to the material ever. 
And so I had no clue what the story was real. I knew it, it involved a science fiction or a science aspect of bending space and time. That's where they got the name Wrinkle in Time. And kids, I knew the premise, dad disappeared. And kids had to learn to bend space and time to go find dad and bring him back. Easy enough, again. right? Yeah, I mean, that, we're not giving away the movie. That's yeah, that's just the general plot that everybody... <laughs> that's act one. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I got to say, man, I for me, this movie was just a big hot mess. <laughs> yeah, that's I, the consensus. I, I, I mean, it was just all over the place. It was a barrage of philosophical jargon in the beginning that made no coherent sense whatsoever. And I don't know if it was trying to be mystical. I don't know what it was trying to do, to be honest with you, but it just made no sense to me whatsoever. <laughs> I was like, I, there's one one of the three misses. The only, t- only way she can coherently speak is by quoting famous philosophical lines or Shakespeare or, or hip hop artists or hip hop artists, you know, to try to convey what she means. And so she's always speaking in cliches in these like, you know, these one liners. That was like the whole first act of this movie. It's just a, the whole story is one big cliche and one liner, you know. And it just reminded me of Bumblebee from the Transformers movies where he can only talk through songs in his radio. So let's talk about the good first. I mean, the movie is a mess. I'm going to acknowledge that. But I think there is some good in here. I do, too. I I think all three child leads were good. And I think they're going to get a lot of work in their future. I think they, they performed admirably in this movie, and, and especially the lead, the girl that played Meg. Um, You know, I, I think she's going to be a hot casting choice for a while. Yeah, and if anything, the, the, the young man, uh, the, the, the kid in this, uh, I think it was Levi Miller, uh, he played Calvin, I think. So, yeah, he's the friend. The friend. There's a brother and a sister and a friend. Those are and the three children that go on the he's journey. He's kind of the thankless role in this. Yeah. So, so I, I thought he was the weakest of the three, but he's not really given any material. He's given none. He's a tag you know, along. He's he's just a tag along. You know, just kind of he's a he's a shoulder to lean on and a love interest. Yeah, and a, maybe a, a love interest to to a certain degree. And what makes it sad for me is that I think the kid's a pretty good actor. And, and I think given the right material, you know, you could have, there could have been a lot more depth to his character. And he could have, like, give us a reason. In this first act, if you're going to waste 45 minutes in the beginning of this movie, at least give us a reason of why this kid is interested and how he's kind of a good kid and how he's going to buck the trend and stand out and, you know, go out and, and show an interest. We don't even know why. He just, like, magically shows up. Why does he have an interest in, in her? He has two scenes, and then he's off with them on the journey. There's yeah. a walk through the, to the park, and then he's in their backyard, and they're off and away. Yeah. He's yeah. in Better Watch Out. It's a horror movie that's really good. It's a Christmas-themed Home Alone okay. horror movie. He was great in that. So I, I recommend if you enjoyed him in, in this movie, you should definitely check out Better Watch Out if you like horror movies. What also I thought was good about this movie it feels genuine with its emotions. This is a movie with no cynicism in it. Right. About the love between a family and siblings, and, you know, love is a powerful element. Yep. That I think the movie wears its emotions on its sleeve. I think it was very sincere and heartfelt. A lot of things it was trying to say about family. I, I would agree with that. I, um, the emotions are very raw and very real. And uh, the problem is, is there's no context around those emotions. That, that, that's where the, the the movie loses me. You know, there's no 
I don't buy the pay. I don't buy the reason for the emotions, you know. Um, and now I will say when we get into, I don't know if we would call when they finally kind of have to go on their own and they go to the, let's call it the dark place. Okay. Okay. That's where the movie, would that be this end of the second act or the, the beginning? I don't know what part of the movie, because it's really not even a three act structure. It's kind of a, a meandering in an end. But anyway, that's when the movie kind of got halfway. Okay. For me, I was like, Oh, okay. Now, now there's chemistry between the girl and the boy and, you know, and there's, they're not dependent on all this philosophical jargon coming down to us, you know. And I started to kind of be, I was much more engaged when it was just the three kids on this fantastical planet than I was at any other time in the movie. And I think why that is, is earlier in the movie, they're going on this adventure and it doesn't feel like much of an adventure. They're just on a tour. They're being taken from place to place to place. And the kids don't interact with each other. They're too busy exploring Writing this leaf monster thing, balancing on gemstones while trying to center themselves. So there's no interaction with the kids. And and none of it, there's no reason for any of it. It's all a waste of time, I agree, because it's all chasing the MacGuffin. But it's all not even earned. They're just brought from place to place to place. You know, they're just going along for the ride until they're on their own. But once they're on the dark place and the dark planet, then they interact with each other. There's no one there holding their hands. There's no plot device that's saying, here's information you need to know. That's when the movie breathes a little bit. Yeah, no, I would agree. But then it takes it takes a 90-degree turn, and it kind of turns into a horror movie. There's no monsters in this movie. You know, it, it's a dark, scary voice and tendrils, like uh, tentacles of smoke and rock but i have to say i mean i'm a little more sensitive to the horror aspects of the you probably thought it was just children's fodder but for me <laughs> i was getting a little bit on the edge of my seat thinking this is getting a little scary and a little intense for me it did send a family packing in the row in front of us i know i was like bumping you in the theater i was like look down there the, a mom and dad and two kids they packed their kids up and got About out About 20 minutes to go they were gone yeah they got out of the theater they'd had enough of that movie <laughs> and it was the intensity of the end you're right exactly and uh you know, so this movie was going to be like a C for me. You know, I was a hot mess until there's a scene at the end with the dad and the three kids. I, don't, I shouldn't say what the scene is, should I? No, I don't think it's spoiling it. If you're talking about what I think you're talking about. Yes, where he has to make where he makes a choice. He makes a terrible choice. He makes a horrible choice. Yeah, it's a head scratcher. You'll know it when you see it, and you're like, I don't think a dad would do that, especially one that hadn't seen his kids in four years, and he's not... I thought maybe it wasn't really him. Like, maybe it was a creation of the bad place. That's exactly what I thought, too. I thought, oh, okay, we're going to find out that the dad is not really the dad. They haven't found him yet. This yeah. is just the dark place because, impersonating him. Because dad would never... Right. It's, it's, like the, it's like the wisdom of Solomon. Here's two women and they got a baby. Well, let's just cut the baby in half and you get one half kid's you good enough. Half. Yeah, yeah, it was surprising. And no, it, it's really him. It's it's Chris Pine's character. It's not a dark version of him. So it was a really yeah. surprising move. Yeah, that was really ugly and bad and horrible plot device in my opinion. And that that just sent the movie in the tank. From I was ready to get up and walk out at that point. I'm like, this is ridiculous. But I thought, well, we got to be at the end of this movie. Yeah, you've already given it an yeah. hour and 50 minutes. <laughs> oh, man. 
There's more books in this series, I believe. This movie really doesn't set up any sequels. No, yeah. And we got to say, thinking back over this year, I think this was the lightest crowd I've seen in 2018. Our theater was the very first showing tonight at 7. Yeah. And it was less than 25% full. Uh, 10%, if that. It's just a smattering of people, empty rows. And and I don't know if it was because we didn't go to our normal theater, you know, that we normally go to, but still... It was at a, it was in one of the the most bustling places in Columbus. I mean, you know, it was it, you know, and it was a big eighteen megaplex. You know, and let me theater. point this out. It's in a family neighborhood. A lot of families live yes. up that way. Yes, where our normal theaters on campus, and this movie's not going to appeal to the college no. crowd. So I was well, surprised to see how lightly attended it really was. Yeah, so the whole theater was empty. It was bizarre. Yeah, we took pictures. <laughs> yeah. It's an 18-screen theater, and for the longest time, Roger and I were the only two people there that were not employees because you can see down this long hallway in three different directions, and there's not a soul to be found anywhere on a Thursday night, which is when new movies open. Yeah, so um, I thought, what about the sound, the music, the score? It should have just stuck with a score. It's got a funny thing with its soundtrack. There's a couple scenes. There's two that leap to mind where the one is the white staircase, it suddenly is playing a song with a lyrics, you know, and it kind of took me out of the scene. Instead of an orchestral score or something else going on, it's a lyrical song that, you know, is on the soundtrack. And another time when they go to the beach, it just kicks in. It's only for like 10, 20 seconds. But it's weird not to have a score playing and actually have lyrics going on that aren't like a, a song specifically made for the movie. Yeah, it, it was a little bit, it was very off-putting for me too. And it just... I gotta be honest with you. It was just unremarkable. The score, I, you know, yeah, nothing sunk in for me. You know, I, I was, I kind of thought, well, we'll get maybe there's this wrinkle in time theme that we'll get, and it'll be repeated throughout. And maybe they did that, but it was lost on me. I just didn't connect with it at all. The whole time, I kept wishing Doctor Strange would show up. This is the Disney universe. They're oh. traveling the multiverse, especially when they're doing the wrinkle travel at the end. When you see it, when she's finally having a good travel experience. That, that would have been the only thing could have saved this movie, is Doctor Strange showing up. <laughs> yeah. Now, now let's talk It has o- some trippy visuals, and that was it. Yeah. I like the look of that, when she's finally returning too. home with the ribbons yeah. of light and everything else. Yeah. Well, they said it was the unfilmable movie or something, or, you know, and so they took a stab at it, you know. You have to give them some credit for that. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and we're getting to the point where visual effects are so good now. It's amazing. I mean, they can do shimmers and bends in space, and it looks, it doesn't look like they're standing on a green screen and, and wobbling around on green blocks. You know, it actually looks like that the, that the Earth is bending and wrinkling. You know, so I thought that I thought I thought that was really good as well too. Um, There's a lot of visual work in this movie. Yeah, it's it, this is a big expensive movie that Disney has has done, and I, I don't. It had to be at least two hundred million, and I don't know if they're going to get their money back on this. Maybe on 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 DVD sales or something, rentals or something. Maybe. Yeah, it was unfortunate because Disney was holding reviews back. The embargo just expired about thirty hours before premiere. Now, when Disney has something good, they let you know early. Like Black Panther was shown three weeks ahead of time, no embargo, immediate social media reaction. Same thing with Civil War and Captain America: Winter Soldier. So people are getting a little worried when Disney does not show something early. Right. Um, what about parents that want to take their children? We had a family get up and walk out of this movie. What do you think, Adam, is a realistic expectation for maybe families? I think it's rated PG. I don't think it's a PG-13 movie. I'd say this movie's for the 7- to 12-year-olds. 
that's right. okay. The I, younger ones are just going to be bored during it. Even the age I cited might be bored. I wish we knew a kid that age. Your kids are too old for the movie. Yeah, they're, they're really, it's not going to appeal to them. And I don't know that it's going to be very enthralling to the age we mentioned of the 7 to 12 year old. I don't know if they're going to be engaged with it. Yeah, because you look at the leads, the, the boy and the girl that are the lead in this film, and they're that late middle school age, you know, eighth grader maybe. If I had to just guess, you know, I don't know a single seventh or eighth grader that would want to go see this movie. You know, and so I'm thinking maybe you should have cast them a little bit younger or I don't it, There's just so many things about this movie that is a miss for me. You know, um, it's it's tone, it's pace, it's the, the I didn't like the script. Like, you know, I, we, we talked about this afterwards, Adam. We went and saw Annihilation last week mm-hmm. and it was a very abstract, surreal concept, very sim- dissimilar in theme to Wrinkle in Time, but same kind of, you know, um, a visceral, weird, kind of out there, kind of unfilmable kind of book, you know? And they took a concept and made a really good movie. Different from the book. Different from the book. Basic idea was the same. The journey was different. I'm curious. I, I want to go back and look at the Wikipedia or get the, the cliff notes on A Wrinkle in Time and see how much of the book they kept. Did they keep a lot of the book? I know that... Um, there's references to the different religions and, and the actual mentions of Jesus and stuff in the original Wrinkle in Time. Um, and so I don't know if they were fearful of, of mentioning religion specifically, and so they took some of that out. I'm just real curious to see how this compares to the book. Um, and was it the book's material just didn't translate or, or what the what the situation was? I was actually thinking about Annihilation during this movie because they're not that dissimilar. You know, Annihilation features a journey into an unknown, not to find a, a father, but to find a husband, and things get weirder and weirder. I mean, it's not that different from Wrinkle in Time. Well, you know, now that you say that, it, you're right. You know, Annihilation's an adult version of A Wrinkle in Time. But the, the journey in Annihilation drew you in more because I think she was discovering things along the way. She was on her own. You're learning more things about the Shimmer, which is the the weird realm in Annihilation, where in this movie, the kids are just brought from place to place like a school tour. Yeah. And there's not much discovery. You don't learn anything. You, no. The dad is missing, and the only thing they're learning is he might be over here. He might be over there. And this is a total waste of Zach Galifianakis. He's actually not weird enough. He plays just kind of a Zen yogi master that balances and can tell where people are. And balances, I mean, there's these gemstones that are precariously stacked, and he can balance perfectly on it because he's centered. Yeah. What was his name? Happy Center? Uh, Yeah, Happy Center, I think. (laughs) And this is the straightest I've ever seen Zach play a character. He's a little weird, but not that weird. Yeah. And it was a dud. If there was humor there, there wasn't a single chuckle in our theater. No. Yeah. Well, so I, I hate to hate to be a downer on a Disney film, but I'm usually pretty pro Disney as far as I like a lot of the stuff that they produce. But uh, Wrinkle in Time is a miss for me. Yeah, for me. If you're looking for a Disney movie to take the kids to and they're old enough, Black Panther's the clear choice. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's take a break. We have another uh, movie to see, Novitiate. I'm excited to talk to you about this interesting film. It's very different from A Wrinkle in Time. Yes, it is. You're listening to The Film Coterie. We'll be right back after the music. A nun? 
Oh, Kathleen. You're a 17-year-old girl. I was called, and I'm gonna become a nun, and there's really nothing that you can say that's gonna make me change my mind. Good afternoon, all of you. Since, unfortunately, God can't be here to run this convent himself, my voice will serve as a stand-in for his. You'll be spending the next six months as postulants. After that, you'll enter the novitiate. Any questions? Put your hand down, sister. Postulants don't have questions. And you are free to go home. What is this you're reading? Something to do with this Vatican too. Our Pope has suddenly turned himself into some sort of reformer. Well, that's a good thing. Perhaps change is You good. think the church is in need of change? I happen to think the church is perfect the way it is. Are you still encouraging all of your novitiates for extreme acts of penance? I would like you to use the discipline on yourself. That's got to stop. I don't think you really understand what this will do to us. supposed to think about each other because we're not here for each other we are here only for god maybe i could just touch your hand for a second we're really not supposed to touch like that what is going on here she looks like she's dying i think it's wrong of you to keep us in the dark the church gave me my work my community even my identity and now the church is trying to invalidate all that, saying none of it matters. So my question is, what is it that really does still matter? All right, and we're back. And our second feature of the night is a recently released video on demand. I don't think I had much of a theatrical run, um, if at all, last year, right, Adam? The movie's called Novitiate. It was a contender for some prizes at Sundance in 2017 and had kind of a slow rollout. It's now available on VOD, yeah, iTunes and the like, but it's not available for streaming yet anywhere. And just to give you a, what is Novitiate, it is set in the ni- late 1950s, early 1960s, and it's, it is a, um, about a, a young girl who decides to join a cloister of nuns in their order. And um, she's seeking after the Lord, and she kind of she comes from an agnostic, you know, non kind of a non believing family, um, and she decides to join this nunnery. And it's life inside this cloister, the Rose Order, it's called, um, during the '60s when Vatican II is coming down. Major changes. Yeah, and this is a major shift for the church and what's going on there, and. Uh, um, what did you think of Novitiate and, and the actors in this in this uh, this movie, Adam? It's a unique movie. I, I can't really think of anything else that compares to it. It does a very good job, I think, of kind of needling in and showing you an insider look inside this cloister at these nuns. It humanizes them. These aren't just characters. They all feel like flesh and bone people. Right. With their strengths and their weaknesses. There's a, the Reverend Mother, played by Melissa Leo, is, you know— a, pretty strict and she can be quite the expert at doling out punishment whether it's emotional or physical but that's part of her faith she believes that that leads to atonement or whatever else right she's not or whatever she's she's a scary nun that your parents if they went to catholic school told you about like my dad sure um margaret betts is the director and this is kind of her first i think you said she'd done a documentary but this is her she'd done at least a short in a documentary this is is her first feature her first feature and 
I watched an interview with her on the LA Times, um, and she talked about the creation process for this movie. Now, why would you make a movie about, you know, a, a cloister of nuns and, and their life and all that? Well, she actually came across a book about the life of Mother Teresa, um, something about embraced in the light of God or something to that effect. It, it's it's the writings of Mother Teresa. And she just bought it off Amazon on a whim, you know, wanted to read it. And when she began to read the book, she was really blown away by how Mother Teresa just kept referring to herself as the bride of Christ, that she's married to God, and this the, how much she loved God and she was in love with God and and that just that whole mindset really kind of amazed her. And so she ordered a whole ton of books on um, about nuns. You know, she said she ordered like 30 books. You know, you go down that rabbit hole where Amazon recommends five books. If you like this book, check out these three. You know? It's like YouTube. You're going to watch one video and then it's two in the morning and you're 30 videos deep into some subject. And so she said that she had these 30 books on her nightstand and normally she reads about one or two of them. And those, all the other was on a shelf somewhere. Well, she actually started reading these and then was fascinated by the life of a nun. And why would you choose a life of chastity, of, of often separate? If you go into a cloistered order, like the Rose Order here, where you completely separate yourself from the world, why would you choose to do that? And then she said the other thing that stood out to her was that, you know how they have the comments section on Amazon, like where they make comments? She would read down through the comments of each of the different books, and she was shocked at how many different people claimed to be nuns, and they were fighting with each other over Vatican I versus Vatican II and the changes that happened between that. Um, and so... You know, I'm not I'm not at all a religious scholar, but I, I studied a lot of church history and, and I have some understanding about that. I'm not Catholic, you know, um, that that's not my faith tradition, but I've I've studied a lot of Catholicism and I have a lot of friends who are Catholic. And Vatican one to Vatican two was a huge deal. I mean, it was like, you know, it was it was the Catholic Church's attempt to be accessible by a larger audience, be accessible to more people so they could evangelize and, and keep the order from just kind of shriveling up and dying, you know. And um, so they did a lot of things that really went against the grain of people maybe that grew up in the 30s and 40s like this the Reverend Mother did, you know. And uh, so it makes for, here it is the 60s, there's all this social, sexual women's liberation revolution, um, civil rights revolution going on. The whole country is going in some upheaval and a lot of changes are happening. And Vatican II, this is uh, one huge section of Christianity was going through the same kind of social change, you know, religious change. Yeah, so I grew up Catholic. Uh, we were raised Catholic. I went to Catholic school. We had some nuns. I didn't really see them until high school, but they— they were traditional nuns. They wore the full habit. Um, they taught various language classes, a couple English classes, and they were around. They weren't the scary nuns. They, they certainly weren't wrapping our fingers <laughs> with a ruler or, or right. beating us with a paddle. But they were, they were nuns. I mean, that was my exposure. They were very nice ladies. And they were older. And that's something that, you know, you learn now is that this Vatican II kind of decimated the ranks 
of the women religious. Uh, they said at the end of the movie it was almost cut in half. And yeah. today there's less than 50,000. At the time there was almost 250,000. Yeah. And so um, the context for the movie is very intriguing, very interesting. I guess my question for you is, does this movie pay out? Does the context of the movie pay out the way it should? Did you enjoy this movie? Did you think it um, uh, was there valued entertainment to it as far as showing you this lifestyle and what was going on? I don't think entertainment's the right word. I was interested in the subject of the movie and I was I was not entertained, but I was intrigued watching it. I, I felt like I, I gained something by watching this. You know, just like when you look into something like YouTube or something else, you want to learn more about something. I think it's important to know the movie doesn't really have an agenda. I don't think they're trying to pitch to an audience one it, way yeah, or the it's other to feel not, about nuns or the Catholic Church. My impression was it's definitely not trying to be super political. No. You know, and push a certain religious bent, even within Catholicism, you know. Um, and I thought it was very, <clears throat> I don't think it misrepresented. I thought it was very true and very, I don't I won't say realistic because there may be fantastical elements to it. I don't know. But I, they weren't definitely weren't talking down or they weren't patronizing or they weren't they weren't trying to um, make fun of Catholicism in any way that I could see, you know. As a matter of fact, it could be very well argued that this film, you know, about a, about a, a coming awakening of a young girl could have been told in many different forms. But th- this was just one of the vehicles that was that they used to tell her story. It was about a girl who was a, a little girl in the 50s whose parents got divorced and she needed love. She needed compassion. She never got that from her natural mother that sh- that we could see in the movie. And so she looked to God for that. She's then she's spending hours upon hours in in the chapel looking at the statue of Jesus and and trying to be in the presence of God and praying. To, she's looking for some kind of affirmation. She evidently had to feel something, you know. Um, she's definitely, you know, the lead character. Um, it's Margaret Qualley. Yeah, Margaret Qualley. She doesn't play the character as a stereotypical you know, to make fun of or that she's weird or something. She's very honest about the character, you know. Um, so, you know, there were sections of this movie that I really, really liked, and I thought, wow, that this is really kind of heartfelt. Um, I guess one of the hang-ups I have with the movie is that I don't know if it really gave us a well-rounded look at what the cloistered life was really like. Um <clears throat> It really, you know, it really paints these women very rarely. Only one or two times do we see them really laughing and having fun and interacting with each other. Most of the time, it's very somber, very pious, very let's do everything we can to be as holy as we can try to become, you know, kind of a deal. Maybe that is an authentic picture of what that cloistered life was like. But it, it just didn't come across that way. It kind of seemed to be a little one-sided, I think. Yeah, the movie shows you their daily routine kind of over and over again. They get up at 5 in the morning, pray, then there's some hours of silence. They go to Mass, they eat lunch, they get, they attend their chores, and then they have a, I don't know what you call it, a session in the evenings where they work on themselves as far as revealing their faults or their weaknesses. It's almost like group confession. Yeah. 
They had a name for it. I'm, I'm just forgetting what they yeah, called it. Yeah, and that was a little odd to me, <clears throat> a little weird to me that they would have that. And then the Reverend Mother, she was old school. She used, you know, all kinds of torturous ways of, you know, self-whipping yourself. Like and cat of nine tails. Yes, you know, and uh, making you walk around on your hands and knees and stuff. In and, the rain outside on yeah, the— Yeah, so— you know, she was really kind of hard, hard old school. But I will say, I think the woman who played the Reverend Mother did a fantastic job. And that's Melissa Leo. She she was just great. I think think her performance was just spectacular because she was a monster at times, but yet she was one who really stood by her convictions and believed what she believed, you know. And her standout scenes near the end when she's finally revealing the contents of the Vatican II changes to the to the nuns because it's been kept secret from them. They've issued these changes. She considered them suggestions and not really enforceable changes. And she's tried to keep the traditions of old alive until the parish is coming down on her. Right. They send the, the, archbishop, arch, the archbishop comes and says, "You got to make these changes yeah. now." Yeah. Yeah. And so. <clears throat> The other criticism I have of this film, if and it's only because I, I religious life is very important to me and I've studied it and it's been a part of me for a long time, is that I, I just as an outsider, I know that Vatican II was not a let's meet for two weeks and change the whole church. They spent two or three years, several years, in great contemplation and really trying to consider, you know, how do we make changes to the church? And they boiled, you have to do this for a movie, but they boiled it all down to bullet points. Like a letter you got in the mail. Yes. And, and that's really not, if you read, there's literally hundreds and hundreds of papers that came out of this in great detail of why they did what they did and what they're trying to do and safeguards and how not to take things too far, you know. But but that doesn't make for a good movie, does it, you know. <laughs> so that was kind of a little bit of a, uh, uh, not a turnoff, but kind of like, oh, okay, you you took something very complex and you put it into seven bullet points that the Reverend Mother shared at the end that only points out the bad things, the changes. No good changes about um, Vatican II were ever mentioned about, you know, lo- loving all of people of religion and, and, all, and having mercy for people who are Protestant and people who are Muslim and people who are Hindu and and being much more open to our brothers and sisters, you know, a lot of that stuff was kind of left to the side and just said, and it addressed what that was important to those nuns, which was taking away the reason for becoming a nun almost. You know, you're not important anymore. You're not. They got downgraded. They got downgraded. And it was very honest. These these nuns began to cry, and it was very honest. The older you know, nuns. The older ones. I think this movie does a good job of pairing out the generational differences because the younger nuns that are in their 20s and 30s were all eager to learn about Vatican II. They wanted to know what was going to change. They didn't fear change. They saw it as a good thing, like, oh, what right. do we do now? You know, what, yes. is, what are we expanding into? The older guard who had given their whole lives to this wanted things to stay the same. Their traditions were important. They were the ones who were fearful of the change. Right. Yeah. Now, there was a um, another another nun that was the younger one. Was it? I'm trying to see which one she I can't remember what her name was, but but she was kind of like the, all the younger girls looked to this. She was in her I'm going to say early 30s or mid 30s and all the younger um, initiates looked to her 
as kind of like their little beacon of somebody. And she was embracing these changes, but she clashed with the Reverend Mother and she left about halfway through the movie. And I was like, I'd like to see her stay in a little bit longer and maybe see this journey to the end instead of just jumping ship and bailing. That, that kind of disappointed me, to be honest with you. But I don't know what else about the movie st- stood out to you, Adam. I th- I think if you watch this movie, because we both did the same thing, you're going to be Googling, you're going to be looking more into it. Like I definitely was. The nuns, as they go through their ceremonies of getting accepted into the different levels, you know, dress as brides. And I saw a whole bunch of pictures from the 50s and 60s of these ceremonies with all the nuns coming down the aisle, all dressed in white as brides. Yeah. <clears throat> One thing that I thought was interesting that I know was done intentionally was there are two types of, they, they are postulates or they're, they're kind of like initiates initially. And they dress kind of in little semi informal bride gowns, whatever, not, not real fancy ones, but bride gowns. And that's, and then they have a year and a half to contemplate this religious life. Then they have the actual marriage to the church, you know, in that first ceremony a year and a half earlier, that church was packed out. I mean, like not a seat in this huge cathedral. When Vatican II is now implemented and they go to actually become the bride, there are five girls and that's it. Five out of the 30 or so plus that began the journey and hardly none of the uh, nuns, There's all the nuns are gone, you know. Well, and the Reverend Mother had been banishing some of the younger initiates. <laughs> Others had run away. Yeah. And a lot left after Vatican II. Yeah. And so, and then the, the actual congregation was about a, a quarter of the size of what it was before. So I, I know that's kind of a little bit of a commentary. Um, I, I don't know how much we as men should jump into this subject matter, but I'll bring it up anyway. Uh, the role of sexuality in this film, you know, um, I watched it with my wife and um, um, she kind of took a little bit more of a, oh, okay, they're going to go there because there's, there's a seeking by one of the young nuns for intimacy, for companionship, for comfort, you know, and um, I don't think it was played overtly sexual. It was played sensual for comfort, you know. There was a great longing for kindness and physical touch. and The whole know. movie she's been denied. Even when her mother comes to visit, her mother wants to hold her hand. They're separated, much like a prison, by this kind of graded screen that you could reach through, but her mother just wants to hold her hand, and she can't even do that. Yeah. So they are cut off from affection and touch. So, you know, and then there's, you know, a scene where she holds a nun's hand, and, you know, and, and they feel all bad about that. And then— Well, it starts out she's sick. Right. And, you know, that's done in a moment of compassion. Yeah, you know, but they don't know how to react to that. And then then there's, you know, uh, there's one specific scene where there's an intimate moment where one nun goes to another nun's or initiate goes to another initiate's room seeking that companionship. And some people might be turned off about it. Some people might think it's beautiful. I don't know. I, th- I think that's going to be left to your kind of viewpoint, your interpretation. Yeah, and I I think the heartbreaking thing in the movie is more or less with the main character's mother, who just doesn't understand what her daughter's doing. She no. f- and it's got to be tough if you put yourself in this lady's shoes. She's not religious, and her daughter is now in a bubble, cut off from the world. Yeah, never gonna have a family. Not gonna be home for Christmas. Whereas if you're cradle Catholic and you have a large family, it's kind of like. It's expected maybe one of the one of the seven, eight, nine kids might go into religious life, you know. 
But I legitimately felt bad for the mom because you're just watching her throughout the movie realize she's losing her daughter to this thing. She doesn't understand it. Right. No, I agree. So um, so overall, I think um, Novitiate is a very interesting movie. Uh, I think it's worth um, worth you checking out and seeing if you want to. Um, what are your thoughts, Adam? Yeah, I, I would warn people. It's a slow-paced drama. Um the pacing's appropriate. I think the story is well told. It ends at a good point. And I think it's worth checking out too. Yeah. All not right. for everybody. It's not going to be for everybody. I'll tell you right up front, you know, it's, there's 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 two scenes that um I know are going to be shocking. There's one nun who kind of loses it. <laughs> and it's played for comic effect, you know, but uh, it gives you a microcosm of the effect that that place could have on you after 30, 40 years maybe. And I have to say this. I watch a lot of horror movies and everything else. Whenever I have nuns in my movies, they're demonic. They're kind of grindhouse style. Maybe it's a nun out for revenge. This is weird for me to actually see a, a straight, normal nun movie without any heightened genre I elements. It. I love it. All right, Adam. Well, that's going to be Novitiate. Let's take a break and come back, and we'll wrap things up with our coming attractions. You're listening to the Film Coterie Podcast. And we're back, and this is our final segment, our coming attractions. Adam, what do we have to look forward to in the next few weeks? We still have a lot of big-budget movies coming out in March. We're going to be seeing Pacific Rim, Ready Player One, uh, maybe Tomb Raider. I know next week's a little bit of a wild card. I don't know what we're going to see yet. But if I have my way, I may get Roger to watch Threads, which was a 1984 made-for-BBC One movie television movie about a nuclear holocaust and coming from me this might mean a lot but this is the bleakest movie (laughs) i have ever seen that is saying a lot right there. and it's coming to our local gateway theater next week so i thought we might get roger to take a look at it it's out on blu-ray now you can finally get your hands on it this was kind of a mythical movie that was hard to come by before this I'll have to check it out. Maybe we'll talk about it on the show. I think next week is going to be in kind of a uh, buffet of films because I know there's two or three more you want to see. Yeah, I want to check out the new Strangers, Gringo. I'm going to see Gringo, Thoroughbreds. We Thoroughbreds, yep. Yeah, so I know there's a smorgasbord. So maybe we'll just kind of do a um, uh, maybe we'll do a whole 1984 segment and look at threads and talk about culture in 1984 and the Cold War and. Uh, you know, I'm not kidding. I'll be able to look at you next week and know if you've seen Threads or not, just by the look in your eye. <laughs> if there's a little less spark, you've seen Threads. <laughs> if there's a little, if there's a piece of me that's died, <laughs> you've seen Threads. This oh. is gonna affect you, buddy. I can't wait for you to see it. Oh, and it was made for television. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate that, man. <laughs> but we we're excited. To, you know, we love going to the movies, and so we're gonna we're gonna bring a handful of movies to you. Um. But until then, you can check out my blog, faithandfilm.blog, and that's where I do 
just real quick synopsis is I throw the trailers up of movies I've seen and real quick synopsis and my thoughts. Uh, how can they find us on social media for the Film Coterie, Adam? The best place, as always, is Facebook. We're on Facebook. If you go to facebook.com backslash Film Coterie, we'll be there. Tell us what you're watching. Tell us if we're right or wrong on our reviews. We are also on Twitter and Instagram. And now Vero, the newest social media, with the same hashtag. We are at Film Coterie. So we are everywhere. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this week's edition of the Film Coterie Podcast. We'll see you next time.